Let me lower my my gain here a bit because I don't want it to peak. Yeah, I don't I don't think I'm peaking. I think I'm I'm cruising at a nice negative six dB. You know, that's 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 about where it should be. I got negative three. I think that's gonna be just fine. Okay. Hello, everybody. It's it's us again. Still unverified pirate cast, I guess. Uh, Love it. Shit shooters, or as uh, as our secret name is, uh, shift shooters. If uh, Look, we ever get it, approved. In these dramatic times, you need a source of information and and uh, news that is not uh, accessible to the the regular internet. <laughs> you need you need to have a podcast that's only for people in the know. That's how you can trust it. Yeah, because the powers that be want to keep us quiet, and we will not go silently into the night. So Apple. here we are. Yeah, Apple. Yeah. COVID-19, more like Apple 2020. Because it's like numbers the, after. The, the year of the Apple. The year of the Apple. <laughs> All right, you, moving along. How, how are you doing? The, the, you know, <laughs> not, not every joke's a winner, you know. <laughs> we can mourn that one. Let's have a let's have a, a funeral worst, service for it's that the joke. It's worst when you do when you try to do like an ironic joke where it's like bad on purpose and it's not bad enough. Right. You know that's what just happened. It's, it's, it wasn't bad enough to make it obvious that it was supposed to be a bad joke and it didn't work. Yeah. So now I, mean, I just look with the fool. That's great. Th- there, there's a spectrum of bad jokes. You know, yeah. stolen jokes are in there. Repeated mm. jokes are in there. I'm and a then big fan the one... of stolen humor. I'm a big fan yeah. of when people repeat jokes, uh, and and like especially if you don't laugh at the punchline, if they repeat the punchline. Oh yeah, that's always your favorite. Them. That's my yeah. favorite. Oh yeah, that's that's just that's just my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, well, in in the spirit of that, uh, year of Apple 2020. Uh, let's continue. Yeah. Repeated joke. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, we're, we're nailing it on this whole podcast thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you were all lucky to have exposure to this. I mean, Jesus. this is. <laughs> I I just feel so good that we're putting this out into the world. You know. Anyway, uh, Travis, how's it going over there in Canada? It's another another week in paradise, as I like to say. Uh, hey, still you know, sheltering in place. It's great, honestly. Things are looking up. Um. Vancouver and BC in general have been doing great beating the curve and That's things great. are starting to kind of get back to normal. I went grocery shopping and there were five people in line today. Wow. What? Five? Yeah. So What's, That's a, a damn near commotion. I know. I, I don't know what's like. Everyone's just kind of going back to, to things being normal. I mean, obviously businesses aren't opening, um, mm-hmm. but a lot of the, uh, the crucial industries here uh, do allow for pretty wide work from home situation so uh, it seems like people here are generally okay which is uh, mm-hmm. nice it's funny though because i feel like in the u.s the use of masks has been like this us versus them political thing you know what i mean it's Where, so bizarre yeah and, and here it probably only ever peaked at like 15 percent of people wear masks like i, I think it, i've never been outside and seen a majority of people wear masks so here it's like a, a courtesy thing but it's not seen as like a Almost like a, a division of of the people who believe it and the people who don't. It, it's uh, uh, I don't I don't want to go down to a, a dark place so early in the in the show, but I'll say uh, I, I think um, 
America right now is 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 being real ugly because uh, there's definitely a division of uh, in the, in the United States of people who are okay with the masks and people who are not okay with the masks. And generally speaking, I think people who are not okay with the masks are people who are uh, generally just uncomfortable with. Uh, uh, the whole science of of this whole situation, like they they think it's political, they wanna they think it's a, a right being infringed or whatever. But I also I, do, I don't want to make a straw man and I don't want to speak for anybody, but I just can't help but notice it's overwhelmingly a non Asian population that is afraid of the masks, um, and I can't help but think that there's a little bit of uh uh like Asia phobia, like, like I, I just think that there's some degree of, of, Oh, you know, people wear masks in China. Like we, we're in the United States. We don't do that here. I guess that's just my, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm not there. So I don't, I don't, I don't get exposed. I, I, it's fun to sort of like get a little taste of the crazy when I open the news and then be like, you know, I can, whisk this away i don't i don't need to expose myself any further and you know go back to just normal life here where it's not quite uh to that degree of uh insanity you yeah, know i mean i i'm i'm glad uh, I'll, I'll i'll say I'm, I'm on the west coast you know i'm in california uh so look look for me uh find my address and dox me um i'm really glad to be where i am because i feel like the local government has really come through in a big way uh, and I feel like people are taking it seriously uh, in a very important way, specifically where I am, that I think is not even true across all of California. Um, sure, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's really interesting to see. It's going to be wild these next couple weeks, uh, especially with the news. I think the last couple days, Florida reopened the beaches and people just went. And so mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm sure the nation waits with bated breath to see if there's going to be an I told you so moment or an I told you so moment. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because um, it's hard to know what's going to be a cause for a resurgence because in a lot of cases, it seems like it's it's almost like close-knit gatherings that mm-hmm. have caused issues as opposed to um, big public areas. Because here, um, there aren't quite the same open beaches as there are in Florida, but people have still been going out side of parks and stuff. I mean, we went on a, on a three hour bike ride yesterday across mm-hmm. the city and it was packed. I mean, there were so many people out on the bike path, uh, running and biking. And, and, and again, like we're beating the curve here. And so maybe like, maybe that's something that people don't have to worry about as much, but as long as people are keeping their distance in public, um, it seems like that's a decent enough, uh, solution as long as there isn't like a major outbreak happening at the at the time i guess yeah and i think those yeah, are the, yeah. the the big factors are are for one definitely uh as we're learning more about how this thing gets transmitted i think personally three weeks ago i was i was kind of in a place of like uh-oh this thing is right outside don't open your windows kind of a uh an yeah. opinion mm-hmm. and now i'm feeling a little bit more like okay i i've heard a little bit of how people are being trained to deal with this thing um yeah i've heard a little bit about like hey it takes 15 minutes of being with somebody who has it to to expose like to be exposed to it um mm-hmm. it's not just like in the air 
Uh, but yeah, I, that said, I also have heard that it's it's the uh, the risk of getting it via things like groceries and plastic bags is pretty v- vastly over exaggerated as well. And yeah. That, you probably don't need to worry about that kind of thing. But well, I think um, that's also just part of the nature of those products, right? Like, they're all disposable things. Uh, mm-hmm. We keep the food in the plastic bag specifically so you don't eat the germs. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So it's 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 interesting how some of these things are just kind of baked into... The solutions are baked into the, the way we live already. But I, I definitely think um, it, it, it it's it's surprising to see how different states are responding um especially on the east coast where it is clearly a much more uh bigger outbreak i want i want to say um not to say that we don't have one over here but it's certainly more people seem to be having it over there i think due Mm. to the the population density yeah my my feelings on how you should respond obviously vary on context because mm-hmm. I think if if I were in New York right now, I would not feel as comfortable just walking out the door for sure uh in most situations and i I know people there who uh things have gotten real bad just in terms of uh both the fear of going outside but also the way people are responding to the situation i mean I hear there's a lot of chaos and a lot of uh kind of the the social rules breaking down in a way that are probably really uh, scary to a lot of people who live there. So, yeah, I definitely don't envy that. Um, yeah, so I think it just depends on where you are and what's what's happening around you. And uh, the degree of, of severity of the cases in your area, I think obviously that's a, that's a major component to how you should re- act in this situation. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, in non-COVID related things, what have you been up to and Gosh, entertaining yourself with? What have I been entertaining myself with? Uh, so this past week, I logged back into World of Warcraft, and I think I'm on my my World of Warcraft final tour. Uh, is, okay. what I'm, is kind of what I'm I'm, I'm uh, understanding this to be personally. Okay. Um. For those who don't know, World of Warcraft holds this very special place in my heart. Uh, I like to say from 2004 to 2010, I lived on Azeroth, uh, because in high school, that's basically how I met met all my friends, uh, with few notable exceptions. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for the acknowledgement. Um, But it was a really important thing to me, and so it's, it's been, even as I've grown up and become more distant from the game, I keep on checking back in. And mm-hmm. uh, this past year, I just noticed um, th- there are achievements in World of Warcraft, and I happen to be one achievement away from getting the achievement called What a Long Strange Trip It's Been, which okay. is the achievement for doing all of the holiday events in World of Warcraft. Um, okay. So you get this achievement for, like, if you've done all the Christmas quests, all the Halloween quests, all the Valentine's quests, you get this achievement. And I kind of mm. feel like... I'm I'm close enough that 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 will be a very nice satisfying capstone for me of like okay mm-hmm. like yeah I'll, I'll get all the holidays under my belt I'll have a memory for each one and uh, I, I'm thinking about if there's a project or a story in 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 there at all but we'll see but uh, that's all to say this past week was the Easter event in World of Warcraft so I went on to to do that and now the only thing I have to do is like Children's Day at the beginning of May 
but it's weird. Interesting. It's super weird to see, you know, it tracks your achievements from when you got them. And mm. uh, on my list, it says like, oh yeah, you got the Christmas achievement in 2008. And, this, and it's like, oh yeah, and then you got the Chinese New Year achievement in 2020. Like, wow. Uh, weird. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I enjoy metadata like that um, for certain things. Certainly, I definitely review a lot of like the game stats that I, I have access to in a lot of situations, but I can imagine with one specific game, that must be a very uh, personal experience to look through. It's um, just, it's bizarre to see how much the game has changed, and then at the same time, how much Blizzard as a company has changed in that time mm -hmm. frame, you know? Because um, they really went from just a couple guys in their garage to a, a mega corporation that's that's now right. Activision. Um mm -hmm. And I, I, I'm, I'm always looking for stories, I guess, and I guess I'm, I'm wondering, like, ah, is there a story in that? Like, I wonder if, if kind of going back and, and looking at, like, here's how the game changed as I played these events. Like, in, in 20, mm -hmm. I'm sure the events I did, I, I don't remember them all, but the achievements I got in 2008 are basically for a different game. <laughs> right, yeah. I'm sure. It's super bizarre. It's weird mm -hmm. how live services like that. World of Warcraft is an odd one, I think, particularly because it's been around so long. But it's weird to see how live services evolve and and, and mutate out of what they used to be. Mm hmm. Interesting. Um, Are you enjoying it? I mean, is it something that you're uh, you're having fun returning to, or is it a? It's nostalgic, uh, if not tedious. Uh, mm. <laughs> You know, the problem with World of Warcraft, I think, is the quest design is really entrenched in what their limited capabilities are. Um, it's right, really yeah. entrenched in what they can get away with in the engine. And so they've done a great job, I think, of pushing that engine to its limits. But it's still, to my knowledge, in, an engine from two, uh, 2004. So, right, yeah. like, as much fun as it could possibly be, like, they definitely, I remember doing some of the Easter event back, you know, 10 years ago, and, and it's definitely better now, but, mm -hmm. you know, it's still clicking, it's still going, it's still fetch quests, it's still um, kind of, you know, go kill X amount of Y, but... Yeah, that was a, that was really common, um, sort of quest structure even in single player games i feel like back then so and i wonder i, I, I do I wonder like how do, it would be still, i feel like you still see that sometimes in, in quests like uh, uh i i i've heard that some of the stuff that's been added into the final fantasy remake kind of resembles that as well just like oh yeah it's oh, side sure, quests yeah. you know mm -hmm. yeah, the level up. i mean yeah it's it's interesting how um certain things like that have continued even though I feel like that's something that I always hear people complain about because I, I, even with the new Final Fantasy game I feel like that's a common complaint I've heard mm -hmm. is that the additions are tedious but uh, I haven't played it yet so I have no comment actually that was what I went on my bike adventure yesterday for because I had I had ordered it two years ago and uh, it I never updated the uh, delivery address so it went oh, to my gosh. old my old place and I had to bike all the way over there to get it but so, you got uh, it I did, yeah. So I, you I are did. a proud owner of Final Fantasy VII Remake. I have the physical copy, which is now going for like $150 on eBay. So wow. that's, that's a good experience. That's Even so though cool. it's not like the collector's edition or anything. No. I actually did have that ordered, but I ended up canceling it because I didn't feel like spending that much. And I had the other one for $25 off. So 
Well, in, in related news, I actually used a little bit of my government money uh, to pick up Final Fantasy VII, end of game title, uh, <laughs> for, for Switch. Um, Fun. I haven't started playing it yet, but I, I just think like that's this is really a good time for me to go back and, and, and give some games that I haven't given a fair shake a fair shake, and so I want to mm-hmm. try that one. And the other one I'm thinking about diving back into, I think I, I didn't give it a fair shake just because I put it on too high to, a difficulty at first, and then I got too far to the point where I didn't want to start over. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I want to try God of War again, uh, the, the 2018. Oh, yeah. You got it. Um, also, I recommend <laughs> they um, they actually put in. Uh, you can switch the controls to the original const- control scheme from the uh, uh, first God of Wars. Oh wow! Uh, it's in there, but it's almost in there as a demonstration tool to, to show you why that, like, you don't want that. Yeah, exactly. Like apparently, everybody who tries it hates it and wants to go back to the way it was uh, designed. Interesting. But that's that's a phenomenal game. I highly recommend it. For yeah, sure. I'll have to um, I'll have to try that uh, that alternate control style out. But honestly, the first time I went through it, I just because I I am a veteran of the previous God of War games, which this does not resemble too much. This is no. much more. Uh, if I understand it right, I've never played one, but a Dark Soulsy type, uh, much more kind of Witcher type, like like it's you're just exploring and and. It's slower, heavier, and more clinical. That's that's probably how I would describe it. But yeah. I don't think it's um. I don't think it's quite to the level of making you have to f- really work hard if you don't want to. I mean, there like like we've established, there are uh, difficulty levels, and I I think it's, I think the combat's really strong in it. Um, but it's definitely a different style and a different feeling. It's not quite as like cinematic or, you know, humongous or or. Uh, you know, visually dynamic as a as an experience. It's a, it's a bit more grounded. I yeah, think I, I think that's the big thing is that they really. It seems even in the the action set pieces, they are set over Kratos's shoulder <laughs> in this game. Yeah, exactly. whereas in the previous game, it was kind of more about like how small can we make Kratos on the screen? Like right. how how insignificant can we make him seem compared to what he's taking down, and and how cool mm-hmm. can that be? I really do uh, want to know what your thoughts are on it when you beat it, because I feel like from what I experienced of it and what I've heard from a lot of people who've played it um, is that it's really feel it really feels like a God of War game that was developed for people who don't like God of War, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like it's a lot like it's a character that a lot of people have complicated issues with because of yeah. just the tone and the personality and things depicted in the games. And it takes that and makes it so serious and real and human and dramatic in a way that, like, the God of War games never really were. Yeah. Or at least weren't in a way that I think people who are a bit more, like, on the, let's say, uh, what should I say? Uh, the the more, um, hmm. I'm the word is escaping me, but people who kind of take drama more seriously i guess is what i mean to say like but i i almost wanted to say it in a bad way um <laughs> but y- you know what i mean like the, it, it's kind of more directed towards people who care about that kind of thing who yeah. probably found older god of war games kind of like childish in their depictions of violence and sex and things like that because this game has none of that it, it it um it doesn't feel like it's trying to look cool i and- guess is the uh 
I, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that uh, I, I've seen some of the developer diaries, and I know like this, the the new God of War is definitely uh, influenced heavily by uh, the the team's personal experiences with fatherhood mm-hmm. and and being oh, yeah. a parent. Um, well, Corey, Corey Barlog specifically, I know, was a big driving force behind yeah. that because I think he had a son while developing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, the the narrative kind of I think both for Kratos and the developers of God of War are kind of it's it's a really I think uh, interesting and cool turn for the character because it's basically a meta snapshot of accountability. Uh, it's it's a, a meta take on on you know like hey yeah we did put out a bunch of aggressive nasty games. And and like now we're kind of having to answer for it. Um, yeah, not in, not in a direct way, but I, I feel like right, there's a little yeah. bit of like a, a self awareness there that's very interesting to me. But again, I haven't gotten Absolutely. too deep into the game. Yeah, but I will say they still maintain this feeling of it's not. It doesn't have the same problem that a lot of other like Sony first party games have, where they try to be. Um dramatic and have characters that you really love and all this stuff, but also have them just violence be the only expression of their character that you interact with. God God of War is like that, but it always is contextualized in a way that makes sense and Mm -hmm. feels justified and feels like something that is not in conflict with what's happening in the story. It's Mm -hmm. always connected in a really strong way. And I think that that's a, that's something that makes that game really, uh, really feel um, like there's no compromise to the vision, I guess, based on mechanics or what they're trying to say just to make the game fun. You know what I mean? Like yeah. everything feels like it's in sync with each other. And I that's think that's really um, nice. Yeah. So I, I definitely recommend that. I think that's a, that's a great game. So I also, I also want to get back to the old final fantasy seven original. Um, I have it, but I haven't ever played it. And I, I might at least, I think maybe what, what's a good compromise here. Cause I do want to get to final fantasy seven remake sooner rather than later is I might just play the, um, the first part, uh, mm-hmm. up until where remake basically ends. Yeah. That would make and sense And maybe to me. like go with it as the remakes are coming out. Well, I guess uh, the 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 no no spoilers, but the the implication that I heard is that this this may be different than than mm-hmm. the. I, I don't want to like. It's hard to talk about this game, especially because neither of us have played it. But but I do yeah. know a couple nuggets, and and I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say what's interesting about Final Fantasy VII Remake is that it is not a remastered version of Final Fantasy VII, um, mm-hmm. and that it is not... Uh, it seems that the implication of the ending of the game is that basically they're going to be taking these characters in a new direction. Interesting. Um, which which could mean anything. Um, yeah, but, I, I, I had heard the ending was kind of bananas, and... Yeah. Um, but honestly, I'm kind of intrigued by that because it almost reminds me of the uh, the uh, Evangelion rebuild films. I that's exactly what I thought too. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm so happy you brought that up um, because that that's another example where at at first it seemed like they were just redoing the show, but in like a really beautiful, expensive way. And then by the second movie, it was pretty clear that things were starting to shift. And by the third movie, I mean, it was completely unrecognizable. Right. To the point where 
And I think there were even kind of hints in the second and third movie that maybe it's connected, but in like a metatextual way, mm-hmm. I guess. And I, I'm just curious what, what, what Final Fantasy VII Remake, if there's going to be that kind of element to it, but I, I just, neither of us can even talk about it. So I'm, it's just completely theoretical at this point. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to nationalize a certain type of storytelling, but I'm going to use this, this terminology anyway. But I... I have noticed particularly in a lot of Japanese stories, um, they're able to approach that that meta conversation about remaking something in a really interesting way. Um, I've seen mm-hmm. that both in in Evangelion. I think it's fascinating because totally when I I think as far as the first two movies, people just kind of said, "Hey, that this is a remake of the original," kind of disregarding the differences, and mm-hmm. then. It was only when the third one came out that people went back and saw, wait a second, maybe the second one is also different. And and there's even implications maybe that it's like a continuation of the first yeah. series. Like it's bizarre and interesting and, and, and mm-hmm. it really makes you think. And then there's other op- uh, options, uh, other, other examples. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, mm. I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, just this past anime season... There was a, a Madoka Magica, like spinoff anime. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, Madoka Magica. Both the, it had all a special place, I think, in both of our hearts when it came oh, out. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, 100%. This spinoff is, as I understand it, I didn't watch the whole thing because I just couldn't bear it. Um, it was that good. Uh, I think it's just the story of the mobile game. Okay. But it Weird. A, it attempts to like do the same thing of like, hey, it's a continuation, but also maybe it's a sequel, but also maybe it's a, a like a reimagining of the original story, and it's like, I I don't know. Some things I feel like you can do that with, and I guess some things I feel like you real it's really harder to do that with. And, well, and, it's weird because Ma- Madoka already did that with the movies. And th- yeah, and also that like Madoka was already a deconstruction of a deconstruction, right? Like, right, yeah. Like it was already take a take on the 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 Madoka, the the the, the Sailor Moon kind of like magical girl trope. Yeah, so to, absolutely. To do that and then say like, okay, and now we're gonna invert that trope on itself. It's like, well, isn't that just a regular? Magical girl, like, <laughs> yeah. Isn't this just a regular magical girl show now? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Things kind of once things start start to fold in on themselves enough, I feel like a lot of that texture sort of gets lost. Mm-hmm. It's like making Beavis and Butthead Funko Pops. It's like it doesn't the the message is lost after a certain point where you you've kind of gone past the horizon and uh yeah uh the the the, i was reading after a certain point i I stopped watching it but i was reading the anime news network reviews of the episodes as they come out and uh Uh like basically until the last episode came out they were all saying like uh god i hope this is a two-core show and then it turned out that yes there's going to be a second season so madoka's spinoff will need twice as much time to tell a half as good story okay great (laughs) but uh one of the things they mentioned in their reviews was like mommy shows up fairly early into the series so it's like oh that's weird like mommy's here but okay Mm -hmm. like she didn't have a whole lot to do in the other series so like maybe justifiably like we can use her because spoiler for 
an eight year old anime series, but mommy dies in episode three. Um, so, okay. We're establishing this might be a prequel or like a side quill or whatever. Um, and then in the, the ultimate episode or penultimate episode, Sayaka shows up, uh, another character from the original series and yeah. basically all the fans across the board i think said what's going on like yeah, why is she is. here like like this is weird this is just fan service like there's no the, the narrative doesn't isn't around her there's no reason for her to be included it was just hey let's get the old voice actress let's make some some new figures like let's, let's do it yeah this is the same like same shit I'm complaining about with Star Wars is just like, hey, we have this vision of what Madoka is, and the marketing vision is that there's the four or five magical girls, and they're all together, and they're going on an adventure. Mm-hmm. But the show is not that. The right. show is that being destroyed slowly, basically. And so to, <laughs> it's like how how Metal Gear Solid... Like there's this kind of oh what is Metal Gear Solid? It's Snake going into a into a facility and he's using his high tech tools and then no other Metal Gear Solid lets you do that. Yeah. Like really? Like <laughs> Kojima loves to like dangle that over you and make you think that's what you're getting and uh-huh. then nope in this one you're right and nope in this one it's forty years before nope in this one he's an old ass man. <laughs> it's like you never get that same thing again of just cool Snake going through a facility, and it's like yeah I think. I think trying to perpetuate that weakens the entire thing. Totally. So to hear that they that Madoka is like just oh the cat all your favorites are back everybody they're they're all here on another adventure, you know it's like it's no just not th- what I needed to see. That's not what was good about this. So. <laughs> uh, important I, I think to to remind everyone that this new thing does not diminish the value of the old. I think it's important that no childhoods are being ruined here. It's just no. a waste of potential. You don't have to watch it, just like how I never watched the Fooly Cooly return. You know, I stuff. actually I, I watched the the second one, and I didn't watch the third one of those, and that was bizarre for me because uh, I don't know if, how much you know about them, but the second one is coming of age story, but for a girl. Yeah, I know. And yeah, I was I've watching that, that like as I was starting my hormone therapy, so it was very just like, oh, this is coming at an odd time. Hmm. And then I didn't even feel the need to watch the third one. I, I, I kind of want to do a retrospective on the Fooly Cooly franchise now that it's a mm-hmm. franchise, but uh, <laughs> one one project at a time. Like, I mean, I, I at least appreciate that they're using it more as like a template as opposed to just, here's all the characters again. Yes, I, 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 I guess. I appreciated that the only returning character was, was uh, Haruka. Is that her name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Haru, Haru? Haruka Haruhara. Yeah. Uh, she was the only returning character, uh, and, and it was... I think it seemed like a little bit of time had passed also. So, like, it was... It didn't mm-hmm. feel like a retread, per se. It just didn't feel as original as the first one because it was in the shadow of it. Yeah, I guess... I appreciate it for two reasons. One, it doesn't try to rely on a cast that like oh the audience fell in love with them so we need to bring them back yeah two it makes it unessential so you don't really have to watch it if you don't feel like it you know yeah. what i mean like it's a separate thing that happens it's not related it's kind of in the spirit of it but you can ignore it if you want to whereas mm-hmm. i feel like certain things insert themselves into the story in an annoying way that makes them essential when they shouldn't be mm-hmm. if that makes sense like it, it just kind of 
back treads the 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 progress of what was the original idea and vision and then like kind of says i'm here too and i'm part of this this epic tale and you have to pay attention to me you know bah, bah, bah. the emperor had a daughter bah, 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 bah. <laughs> like it just it's like it comes in and it 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 sort of takes away from what the original idea was or or interprets it in a way that isn't very fulfilling. So I, I appreciate that they kind of separate it that way. Yeah. If that makes sense. And and to my knowledge, I don't think they're gonna start packaging all of Fooly Cooly together. I, I think it's emblematic mm-hmm. of the of their uh appraisal of the of the product that I still think the way that it's distributed is they have the the Fooly Cooly um Blu-ray DVD combo that you and I picked up. That's just the original series, and then mm-hmm. there's also I think it's called like Fully Cooly Progressive or something like that. Uh, yeah. But it, it's it's season two and three. I think they they come together. I see. Because they were pretty much a package deal. Right. Weren't there going to also be movies? I feel like they announced that as well, but maybe it didn't I end up happening. I think that if that if they did announce that, I, I think they probably rolled it back, but. Because I don't say. think a lot of people cared too much. It seemed like I didn't hear about it from almost anybody. No, but, um, it, I mean, the, I think the 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 word that I've most heard about it was from you, which was that it was kind of a fart in the wind. Uh, that like nobody really cared about it. I think the the biggest thing that came out of that Fooly Cooly revival was that the Pillows toured the U.S. again. Yeah, and they, <laughs> they made more music, and that and I have that album, and it's great. Yeah. So I love the music they made for it. But it is funny, because I remember on, like, my Facebook and in groups I'm part of, I saw a lot of excitement before it came out of, like, mm-hmm. oh, man, this thing is coming back, and I loved this thing. It was so formative, formulative to me. And then it was going to air on Toonami, and then they were like, all right, everybody, let's talk about we'll this when it's over. We'll see you after the jump! Yeah, it's like, well, things will never be the same, you know? It's Star Wars Episode One. can't wait. It's going to be amazing. Nothing will ever I be love, the same in I cinema. I love stuff like that. I love it. I love getting, like, hyped for something and then just being totally let down. Like, oh, my God. Like... Exactly. And I feel like that's exactly what happened here, where I, I remember reading, like, one review on, like, Kotaku or something that was like, mm-hmm. it was kind of a letdown, and that was the last I ever heard about it. Mm-hmm. None of those people who, who hyped it up ever said anything about it ever again. And, uh, and again, I don't think that it was probably a disaster. It just probably didn't, like, light the world on fire in the way they were expecting it to, because it seemed like it was such a nostalgia play of, like, we're bringing it back, everybody, on well, Toonami. The, the big thing about Fooly Cooly was that it was... I think definitely a nostalgia play, but also like it was, it was, I think part of the appeal was that it was done. Like, like everyone I introduced Fooly Cooly to anyway, part of the appeal was like, it's only six episodes. Like, like, yeah, yeah we could watch this mm-hmm. tonight. It's a movie. Mm-hmm. Like, like you want to, yeah. you want to do this that fast. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess also, uh, as I was talking, it kind of occurred to me too. It also came out of nowhere. Uh, mm. This one was like, oh yeah, fully Cooly. I know what that is. I wanna, I wanna see more of it. That's kind of hard mm-hmm. to follow up. But when somebody first tells you about Fooly Cooly, and you haven't seen it before, that first season feels really good because it mm-hmm. it was completely unexpected. It was, yeah, and it was also made almost for an express purpose of like letting steam out after making Evangelion. Yeah. That's the impression I've always heard is that it was like this way for them to process this really difficult thing that they had just finished mm-hmm. in, a, in a much different sort of expression of youth than this very hard negative kind of 
te- like soul tearing experience, both in terms of how Evangelion was made, but also what it's about and the message it's trying to deliver. I mean, those are and, and all very hard. Yeah, very pressing, heavy things. And to kind of let that steam out in a, in a, in, through animation is not something you see very often. And so I, I don't think that kind of spirit can live on without that specific creative environment. So it, it, it just seemed like um, it was lacking that sort of inspiration and soul. So I, 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 I'm not really surprised. under it, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also funny how, like, no one in Japan knows what Fooly Cooly is. Oh, yeah, like, it, that's it's, the most bizarre part. Yeah. Uh, it's way more popular in the U.S. than it is in Japan, and it's uh, it's really funny. Because <laughs> I've asked people, like, I, I have, like, merch and stuff from Fooly Cooly, and I've been in Japan, and I've asked, like, people if they like it, and no one I've ever met has heard it, has even heard of it. That's so funny. Because <laughs> I think it only ever came out on, like, VHS in Japan. Yeah, it was an OVA. Whereas it was direct-to-video. It was. and But in the U.S., it was aired on TV uh, for Adult Swim for years. And yeah. so um, it was something that, like, a lot of people grew up just seeing and, and getting exposed to. And, I think that's uh, it part kind of, of how, how it became a cult classic was that uh, I believe, I might be wrong, but I think it was the president of Adult Swim was just a fan of the OVAs. Mm-hmm. And so he I think he even said it was the his favorite thing he had ever put on Adult Swim. Yeah. So I think like, I'm I think pretty he, sure. I think literally it was just like he bought it. He he was the guy who owned the the network or whatever, so he was mm-hmm. like, "All right, like let's air this." And then I'm sure he bought it very cheaply because it's only 6 episodes. Right. I mm-hmm. think that's also why the dub is so weird because it's like a bunch of no-name actors that like it's yeah. there's like five people that you've heard of. Like mm-hmm. most of the girls are people who are, are voice actresses that like did a lot of stuff. But like I'm thinking, Nauta's dad is yeah, like he's in nothing else. He's in nothing <laughs> else, like, and he's great. And I think yeah, it's perfect. The, I think the reason for that is literally just because it's kind of like how Dragon Quest came to the West. Like it was just brought over by the passion of one guy, and mm-hmm. and that's how it became a cult. Like. Whenever they they okay, we have a, a a month now where we don't have anything airing at one in the morning. All right, let's just put Fuli on again. Like, yeah, I, I can't tell you how many times I think I've seen it on Adult Swim at least three different times, mm-hmm. and it's always been the baseball episode. Oh, really? That's funny. Yeah, I uh, I need to watch it again. It's been a, it's been a couple of years. Still good. Um, yeah, yeah. I've never gotten Akumi into it. I feel like I've never met. This, like, I, I, I haven't met many women who understand Fulukuli. And I don't know if this is because of the subject matter, but I feel like I, I show it to people and I have very differing experiences in their reactions, I guess. Like, I've met a lot of people who um, just see it as nonsense, yeah. if that makes sense. And then I, I get other reactions from people who kind of feel a vibe and kind of vibe with the sort of texture of it in a way that other people don't and uh-huh. and it's weird because there's yeah. certainly been things where I've had the opposite reaction to where I don't get it and people are loving it and I just like it's, I just don't know what the, what what it, what it is about it what it's trying to speak to yeah um, I I hadn't thought about that because now that you mention it everyone I know who likes it is male um I I and it's definitely a, a coming of age story for a young man uh in in the first mm-hmm. season absolutely I think all the imagery and symbolism supports that um mm-hmm. but I I I feel like I don't know you still see like some 
cosplayers. I don't know. Oh sure, I, yeah, it's, that's I'm true. Sure, I'm, I'm sure not, there's the, that's the, a, that's female a, fans, but that's a a gross, you know, um, yeah. generalization. Obviously, I mean, but it's, it, an, it's that, I would be interested to see like a statistical breakdown of that if if right. one existed. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's obviously also skewed just by the se- the sake of like audience exposure i feel mm-hmm. like for especially in the era when that came out it was probably a much more hostile environment to be in the anime as a woman anyway yeah. so um there's probably from stuff from the 90s and early 2000s that I, I can imagine um audiences were just sort of skewed across the board maybe mm-hmm. um although i think in the early 2000s that changed pretty drastically um with stuff like oran high school host club and things like that but uh yeah I, I, as i understand it as far as i i can tell anyway um i feel like there was a little bit of like a 5 year gap where it was like in the in the mid 90s there was a lot of stuff for women to watch like sailor moon and card captor sakura mm-hmm. and and like there there were girl, uh, shows designed for women that were being brought over and then i feel like there was kind of a dry spell for mm-hmm. like just while we were like in middle school, I think it was the tsunami era. I think it was like when stuff started being brought over by like major networks. I feel like some women watched like Tenshi Muyo or something though. Like there were Maybe, a couple yeah. shows on there that like there was like one or two that was for mm-hmm. like a, a female audience. But definitely Maybe Inuyasha most, a little bit more. Yeah, Inuyasha for sure. But but definitely most of it was just you know fists and, and anger and, and and dudes fighting each other. Because that was kind of what I associated anime with back then, but I mm-hmm. feel like by the time I got into high school and college, it had completely, like, flipped. Because, honestly, by the time I was in college, I almost more associated it as, like, a more female-oriented audience. Like, most of the people I knew in college, because I was in the anime club in my, my university, and uh, I felt like almost everybody I was meeting through that were women. Mm-hmm. And it was a much more popular thing for women, and uh, I thought that was cool. I mean, I had no no issue with that, but it was... Uh, it felt like that kind of uh, exposure had changed, and uh, One I guess thing, I, I mean it's it's hard to say because like we don't know each other's experiences, but I, I definitely mm-hmm. know in my experience um, when it comes to anime and their celebration of it, and this is a gross generalization, uh, but generally speaking, men have been more reserved in their celebration of anime. Like, it's usually mm. a t-shirt, or it's, it's you know, some small expression. At my college, uh, at my anime club, we had such a hard time getting people to come out, uh, men in particular, mm. because they were embarrassed. They didn't want to show mm. people that they were watching cartoons with gir- little girls in them. Um, right, yeah. So, so they didn't want to come to the club meetings. Whereas, uh, I noticed women were always excited to share what they were interested in. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. That, that that anime was a much more social, collaborative environment about like mm-hmm. picking favorites and like wh- who's your favorite character? Why do you like him? There was there's a lot more um, engagement, I guess, a uh, social engagement among that crowd. Yeah, I think. I, I've always gotten the sense that socially active fan communities are skew female. Yeah, I, I think that I, that's, agree. That's I, I also a, get that a, sense. A commonality. I think. Uh, um, I think men have a, a tendency when they get really obsessed with stuff to be kind of um, isolationist about it in a way. Like I, I can definitely speak from experience, and certainly you have a unique experience perspective on this as well. Sure. Um, but I feel like uh, men have a tendency to turn into misanthropes mm-hmm. <laughs> almost uh, when when things get really 
intense. And I wonder if that's just because, um, I don't know, men have like this, this weird, uh, culture of, uh, conformity, like social conformity, I guess maybe that, that is pressure against yeah. like liking things that are considered uncool, I guess. And yeah, it's, I, it's, it's, uh, it's strange. On a similar, but I think unrelated note, I, I've also noticed that, that I think generally speaking, men are much more interested in the material celebration of, of anime and manga versus mm. women are much more interested in the, like the experience of going to a convention or going to a si- an autograph signing or, or showing mm-hmm. and seeing something. Uh, right. I've, I don't know many women who have like a big collection of, of like figures usually they have an art book like an art book collection or like a bunch of cosplay or there there's something that they can like something tactile that that, that they engage with a mm. little more um whereas i mean in your and my experience certainly we've we've a- accumulated figures and i i think it's very yep. common for for people to accumulate figures yeah i don't know it's it's a weird subject i i i don't it's touchy because obviously, like, I know people who are in all sides of the spectrum. Oh, spectrum, sure. no matter what their identity is. And, and, and uh, let's let's be clear. Like, we're we're just talking. Like, I I don't think we're making any judgments. I, I think we're just making generalizations uh, about mm-hmm. what we've seen. But like, for sure, there's absolutely going to be tons of people who don't fit in our in this mold. I mean, yeah myself included where the fuck do i fit <laughs> like am i am i a male in uh i i was a male uh uh anime fan like do i count as female now that i, I still have my figures like it's mm-hmm. it's it's never gonna i think it, it's yeah. important to yeah make sure we're we're not casting judgment we're just yeah and i think as things are changing i think um as people sort of because I, I do feel like now there's sort of this universal trend of things kind of I, I feel like that distinction is being lost over time and probably for the better, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like I think people are kind of starting to act similarly and not sort of making that kind of dividing line because yeah. I, I feel like some of it some of it comes down to um, people being told what is expected of them, if that makes sense. Like, I think women on the whole, again, generalization, are pressured to act in a certain way, and then they kind of respond by fulfilling that role, because fulfilling roles is comfortable for people. Mm-hmm. And this is this goes beyond, obviously, just, like, fandom <laughs> or anything. Um, but I think people tend to um, fulfill their prophecies i guess if that makes sense the 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 self prophecies they have for themselves it's like the the experiment showing that like if if a teacher tells students who have brown eyes that they are smarter than the students with brown eyes tend to do better right. if that makes sense right even though there's absolutely no evidence that that is the case it's because the um, students with other colored eyes will be discouraged and the brown eyed kids will be encouraged right so like i think part of it is because at least traditionally maybe women were told that like they're social range is more geared towards that versus men who are told that they have to throw childish things away and not mm-hmm. hold on to things and, and whatever various complexities of, of gender roles have existed in, in 
the last 30 years, but I, I feel like a lot of that is diminishing over time. Oh, for sure. Um, I, I, I think, I, um, I mean, not to get too heady, but, but I would not be surprised if within our lifetimes we see the, so like, some serious breakdowns of, of uh, what gender is and, and, and possibly mm-hmm. how we interpret that, because I think a lot of what we're, uh, what we understand to be true um that's kind of the the generalized knowledge um is kind of just held up by the institutions that we have right now um mm-hmm. but given how much has changed recently and and just how many young queer people there are like jesus christ there's a lot of them and it seems like with every generation of younger person there's more and more people who are not falling within these confines um mm-hmm. Not saying that there's a majority of people, but just a larger f- fraction. Um, right. It just makes me think that it's going to be harder and harder to ignore, and we're going to be less likely to ignore it as we get older. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely very likely. It's um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I just wonder if things like, oh, does you know, does Fulikuli attract this or that? Like, is that even? Go- I mean, there are some things that I think are. Um, personal to a level that they don't exist in or or they aren't influenced by culture because obviously I think that like there's always going to be some element of like hormonal change that people mm-hmm. go through based on biology I mean that's just how it is and and obviously that's separate from identity mm-hmm. but I think that like I wonder at what level of like do you find this relatable versus unrelatable has to do with that versus culture you know and yeah. I think that's like a really interesting conversation that I don't think people agree on and um, I don't know where I even get, come down on that because I think it's a, it's super complicated, but uh, it's it's sort of the nature versus nurture argument. But um, in in a in a context of media, I think is really interesting to see like what what people what do people grasp onto because of this versus that, if that makes sense. And you know, one unspoken thing that I think is really important that I think you just kind of reminded me of is uh, so much of this also depends on where you are as a viewer in your life when you see this media. Um, so I'm mm-hmm. thinking in the case of Fooly Cooley, uh, we, I think, were both adolescent when we saw it. Um, yeah. So it, 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 I think it very much resonated, like we could project onto the, the main characters, certainly. But also, I think there was something very, um, like, th- that's when we were making core memories. That's when we were, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it's kind of like going back to your first, you know, Star Wars movie or something. It's probably right. not as good as you remember it, but like we have these firmly well baked memories in our heads that that make us think like yeah that it's it's just a favorite of mine and and that's mm-hmm. it's irrational and and unjustifiable but it doesn't matter like it's it's how I feel. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that it's it's that that to me is like proof of why despite like my logical brain saying we should always you know things are a meritocracy and we should you know give equal exposure to everybody i still think that that's a really good piece of evidence for why um opening up media to like a wide variety of voices and like profiling people who have not been able to speak mm-hmm. in the past because like I am really happy that something like Fulikuli existed to speak to me when I was that age because whoever made it clearly understood that perspective really well. But there's probably a lot of perspectives that aren't fed to in that same way. And oh, I feel absolutely. like if you if you try to artificially create that, it um 
doesn't work out because you just don't feed the same energy, the type of energy that that kind of experience needs to have it feel relatable. And so um, when people say that, like, we need more voices in, in media from a variety of perspectives, I, I definitely that's that's to me where I can agree with that and, and where I can kind of shut up that sort of dumb voice in my head that tries to argue devil's advocate against it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And and. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I kind of want to split a hair that you just that you put out there because uh, I, I agree that we should have uh, diverse voices in media, but but um, from personal experience, uh, I, I've talked to a lot of queer people who um, very much felt that uh, they didn't find stories of people like them in Western media, but they were really attracted to anime in particular and manga. Because <clears throat> there's so many queer stories that are told there. There's a lot less, uh, a lot more gender fluidity in in Eastern media. Yeah, um, it's. I I, what I would caution, I guess, because because I agree. I think it's important to have uh, a a diverse. I don't know what word I'm looking for. A diverse amount of voices. I, I think it's important to to make sure that you're listening to a lot of different people. But I feel like that sometimes can inhibit people from telling stories that they feel like aren't theirs to tell. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. the, the, the 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 hair splitting that I would that I would do the the slight tweak that I would say is is rather than the voices in the in the room who are writing it. More importantly, I just want the stories to be authentic, um, mm-hmm. and absolutely. Generally speaking, uh, you know, ninety-nine out of one hundred times, that means including the diverse people into the room. Right. But yeah. I, I can think of one or two examples where it's like, you know, uh, this person probably, you know, didn't know exactly what they were doing, but this is still an important case, uh, an important mm-hmm. story. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And it's yeah. weird because I almost feel like a lot of um, Japanese media probably fits <laughs> into that because I, obviously, yeah, there's a lot of uh, history of there being um, work that kind of explores that, but I've never gotten the impression that it was targeted at queer people no. as the no, audience. No, 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 no. And that's, that's, that's yeah. the weird thing to me is that, that like, I, I almost feel like a lot of it exists for people to explore. Like, okay, e- example, mm-hmm. um, like things like yori manga right Mm. i don't think were written by lesbians for lesbians i think it was written by straight people for straight people who don't want to see characters that they like in a sexual relationship with a man because then they feel competitive with that man so they want to see them in a sexual relationship with a woman because it's not real so they don't they aren't technically taken because <laughs> in their mind like the lesbian relationship doesn't actually exist playing. and it's on a it's yeah. on a different level so like to me I've always been a little uncomfortable with that even though like it's obviously been really important for people but I also sense that like it's it's kind of well, it's important something... uh, I think it's important to remember the intentions that the the creator has absolutely yeah um, but at the same time like it can exist in a vacuum like there's the whole death of the author argument right, right. And to I, reject that and I think that's exactly what we're talking about here is, is yeah. it, it's it's I think totally you're right like just because people were interested in a certain type of work doesn't mean that work was made for them that mm-hmm. 
more often than not, totally. A lot of the, the, the genderqueer stuff that I'm thinking of is totally, like, fetishistic, very interested in girly boys and manly women and, and the, the swapping thereof and whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think that discounts the experience of the people who found the... Oh, the, certainly not. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And so, it, like, definitely, I think you're right that it's important to be aware that, like, yeah, this probably wasn't made with this in mind. Um, but it can still take on new legs outside of its intention. Um, well, I, I think, I, I think like, queer audiences have a long history of kind of applying the queer reading lens to media. I think that's, like, a pretty... Because there's not a lot from history that was written specifically for that, that perspective. Yeah. Like it, it, honestly for that perspective that they've had to adapt media to fit that perspective in like a, an interpretive way. And so I guess that kind of is an extension of that. Yeah. The, the, the weird one that I'm thinking of that comes to mind is, um, you're totally right. That, that these characters, um, or rather these people didn't feel like their lives were, were being expressed through any media, and so mm-hmm. they ended up, um, you know, projecting or seeing themselves in a certain place. The, the the character that comes most to mind when I think that when I say that is uh, Ursula from The Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ursula is very much read as a queer character because her hair is short and she's a woman who wants power. Um, well, she's also based on a drag queen, like a specific drag queen, right? Um, so that that extends that as well. I, I I have heard that there's a lot of Disney influence in that community as well, which yeah. is interesting to me because at least from that time period, it probably like I I don't I don't believe that company being like a particularly queer friendly company at the time at least. Yeah. You know, um, well, I'm, I'm sure I that think... there's a like layers of of phobia in, in there and and and, and not yeah. in there, but I I just think it's it's. It's interesting to me to see how villains, uh, in particular, uh, Disney has really, I think, found a way to to monetize their villains. There's, there's, uh, like I'm thinking of Ursula, Maleficent, uh, Gaston to a degree, uh, but it's almost like they're aware that like these characters speak to, to underprivileged people or, or people who are, are marginalized in some way, because I feel like in recent years, they've become very successful. Disney even has a board game out right now called villainous where it's just the villains. Hmm. Um, I, I feel like in some ways the villains speak to the, to the audiences more than the, the heroes do. I mean, think about in our yeah. conversations, how often have we linked the picture of Hades going, hey, how's it going, versus how sure. often have we linked a picture of Hercules, you know? Yeah, I, I just, it, I yeah, it's interesting. I feel like in an adult context, I agree. Yeah. But at the same time, there's also the, the child context of like, this is a very black and white good and evil thing. Uh-huh. And so how are we coding evil versus how are we coding good? Uh-huh. If that makes sense. And I, I sometimes I, I know for a fact that Jafar in Aladdin was deliberately coded to be like sort of semi like traditionally like stereotypically stereotypically gay futuristic in the way that he moves and speaks. And that was a deliberate choice to kind of 
make him readable as the bad guy, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And regardless of whether adults attach to that and say, oh, you know what, he, he, like the villains are interesting, it still makes me uncomfortable that that was used to begin with as oh, like sure. code for this is the bad guy, this is the good guy, fear this person, you're friends with this person. And you know what I mean? Even, like, in, There's even like smaller, when you when you say them out loud, sound ridiculous type uh, things like that. Um, I'm thinking in particular in, in Maltese Falcon, I forget the actor's name, but there's a guy who plays a gay character. You mm -hmm. wouldn't, like it never comes up because Maltese Falcon is a, a noir movie from black and white from like the 1960s, 50s maybe. Um, mm -hmm. But you know that he's gay because he has a staff with a, like a rod on the end of it and he just keeps putting it in his mouth. He's got an oral fixation. And that's it. And, and you just kind of know from there, and the way he talks, and the way that he acts, mm -hmm. that this guy's gay. And uh, I think I remember reading somewhere, I might, I might be making this up, but Jafar's staff is a reference to that. Oh, that, interesting. That Jafar's snake staff is supposed to kind of look like that guy's dick staff mm -hmm. from Maltese Falcon. <laughs> yeah, but it's complicated because, again, people have taken things like from those contexts that were had issues in the way that they were made and kind of like brought out new meaning to them. And I mean, that happens in culture a lot. For um, sure. Uh, and so I, I, I don't want to say like, Oh, you know, feel bad for, for attaching to that because those things were bad to begin with. And it's like, yeah, everyone knows that they were bad to begin with. That's not the point. Yeah. I, but, I, uh, I, I can't think of a great Disney example, but the one that comes to mind to me is Beowulf and Grendel. Um, there was a Beowulf, of course, is the old poem um, that it's about this badass named Beowulf who kills a bunch of people, sleeps with a bunch of people, and it's great. Um, th there was a book came out maybe five, ten years ago, I want to say. Someone mm -hmm. rewrote Beowulf, and it was called Grendel. Um, Grendel mm -hmm. is the first person in Beowulf who Beowulf kills, um, okay. and it's Be it's the story of Beowulf from Grendel's perspective, and so mm -hmm. in Beowulf. Um, you know, it's like the the men are having a raucous time in the Great Hall, and then Grendel comes in and he's mad and he starts smashing shit. Um, in Grendel, it depicts Grendel as like scared of the noises coming from up the hill, and he doesn't really know. Mm -hmm. Like he he's frightened of the men, and then it, the the showdown happens the same way. But but you it it puts so much more empathy, uh, I, I guess, on the mm -hmm. villain. Um, right. And I I feel like there's a lot of that. Uh, hmm. Lately, we're 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 very much big on on the 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 reimagining, re, re look at it through someone else's eyes. I think is is very much a yeah wicked right. Like that's uh -huh. I I yeah uh, I guess some of it's done well, some of it's not. Yeah, I'm, I I'm immediately thinking of examples like the Beauty and the Beast live action movie that do such a bad job of that, and then. It's interesting well, I, though that I, you bring that yeah. up, that one up though, because Beauty and the Beast, the the animated version at least, is uh, kind of a bastion for for I think I want to say there were a couple queer people working on that one um, mm -hmm. because I know people point out Gaston deliberately is supposed to be like just a straight white dude, like he's supposed to be as macho heterosexual popular as possible to kind yeah. of show that like the Beast is sort of a queer character I guess in that way. Um, to kind of show how, mm -hmm. like, yeah, even though Gaston is clearly the bad guy and wrong, all the townspeople like him. Like, he's popular because that's his power. Um, mm -hmm. 
as is often the case with big, you know, charismatic douchebags, they yeah. they're often beloved. You know, that's just kind of how it <laughs> how it goes. Yeah, um, well said. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I I I don't have any more to say on that, but I I I, I guess I'm just. I'm excited for new media, as always. Um, th- and yeah. that's that's my, my attempt to transition into, I don't know if you're excited for this, but tomorrow, 420, uh, fucking blaze it. it. It's 420 right now, 420 p.m. 420 p.m. on 420. It's 429, but uh, get your... It's not, it's not 429. My clock says 420. Uh, it's 419. Oh, it's sorry. Four, four, yeah. Yeah, 419, uh, the date. And, um, and you know what? It was an hour and 420 in the recording when we said that. Wow. Was it in really? my recording, at least. Wow. Yeah. Great. So what a, what a coincidence. You know, all well, the signs point to, to I, week, I, didn't, I guess. I didn't realize that that was the day they were releasing it on until just now. But uh, tomorrow, the Netflix show, The, the Midnight Gospel... Is that what it's called? The Midnight Gospel? That Pendleton Ward? Oh, the the weird uh, psychedelic show. Yeah, The Midnight coming. Gospel. That's what it's called. Uh, yeah, that yeah, comes yeah. out tomorrow. Um, and I wanted to talk to you about it because it, it, it caught your attention, it seemed. And I'm, I'm yeah. also very interested in it from an animation perspective more than anything. Mm-hmm. It just looks super surreal and, and interesting. If, if, for those who don't know, uh, The Midnight Gospel is uh, Netflix's new original 10-episode series directed by Pendleton Ward, the creator of Adventure Time. Uh, as I understand it, these are basically animated podcasts. It's, it's like... Hmm. It's, it's, Interesting. It's, they're, what I understand they did is they, they had actors basically improv a podcast conversation like with, with each other. I, I, I think they improved? I don't know. Okay, um, interesting. Uh, I didn't know that was the premise. So it's like the 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 idea, I guess, is that he's going to visit a different universe in each episode and talk to a different person. But mm-hmm. um, because of that, like in one episode he's interviewing a fish, and in another episode he's interviewing the Grim Reaper or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess they they had people improv that those scenarios to make the the audio for it. Interesting. But it seems pretty interesting. Yeah, I liked the uh, the style a lot. I mean, I was really intrigued by just sort of how freeform uh, visually it was, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I I I can see it going in a direction that I find annoying. I, I guess too. if they kind of like grasp onto ooh, this is weird kind yeah, of thing a little th- too there, much. But there's a, a, a I don't know how to say this without being really fucking rude, so I'm gonna just say it. Uh, there's a laziness to Pendleton Ward's writing that is apparent sometimes. Um, hmm. It's just the way some of his characters speak. They don't speak the way the characters would speak. They would speak the way Pendleton Ward would speak, which is to say, okay. they say like, "Hey man, how, like, what's what's that?" Like when when people start saying like, "Oh man, what's the haps?" Like or like like weird shortenings of of like, "Oh man, that's totally flip flop." Like that's just Pendleton Ward being Pendleton Ward. Um, uh-huh. So that happened in Adventure Time. That happened in in the the Bravest Warriors. It, it's it it happens in all of his stuff, and I I will be disappointed if I see 
too much of that in this. It's, it's going to happen in this too, but I'll be yeah, disappointed the, if it's if there's too much. That's the of thing it. from the from the trailer I saw. I was a little like, I felt like there was a tonal dissonance between like the the crazy visuals and the way everyone sort of talked in like a flat like, hey, how's it going? Like we're in this world, right? Like it just kind of has this this lack of energy in the way people were speaking. And maybe that's to do with the podcast nature of it, I maybe. guess. But I, I think that is a Pendleton Ward thing, though, because that's definitely uh, true of, of his previous works, where everyone kind of speaks in this very casual, relaxed way. Uh, there's not really any... Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. There's It doesn't feel like there's much weight to anything. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I'll check it out. I've never yeah. really seen any of his stuff. so It's coming I, out uh, tomorrow, so uh, looking forward to that. I'll check it out. Well, with that bombshell, uh, it's time to say goodbye. Oh, uh, another hour has come and gone. Yeah, maybe you know, maybe next week we'll be able to uh, celebrate our induction into the uh, Apple Podcast, uh, you know, uh, box. These but, coastal uh, elites today, fucking today keeping we, us out we, of the iTunes. <laughs> we remain on the periphery, you know, always there, always, always watching, always waiting, and uh, we'll we'll get them. Ready to oh, strike. Oh, we're coming. Ready to seize yeah, our we're, opportunity. We're gonna, we're gonna, you know, exist in our own realm of reality, and persist despite all this, all this, you know, just complete disregard for our rights. Um, I feel personally very um, persecuted and offended by mm. this situation, and I, I think that it's very obvious that I certainly um, fit within some of the most persecuted uh, figures from human history because of the situation. And, you know, my freedom to speak is being infringed, to speak my mind, to say my feelings and my emotions. I just don't feel like I have the ability to express them openly in an open forum. And I think that Apple and Google and Facebook and all these tyrannical organizations need to get their head on straight and know that I am being persecuted. I don't have my voice respected. I cannot speak First Amendment. It's my right, assholes, in your ivory, apple, glistening crystal tower. You think you're better than me? No. Good night. Hey everybody, it's me, it's Travis. I'm, I've had a whole bottle of La Fin du Monde. I'm a little out of it, but I'm gonna try to do our, our ending anyway. Uh, special thanks go to Aesthetics Please. Aestheticsplease.bandcamp.com is where you're gonna find his uh, sweet tunes. Uh, not to mention uh, music.businesscasual.biz. Find some other other good business casual stuff there. Our music is uh, provided generously with his permission. He's our favorite our favorite musician of all time, better than the Beatles. So uh, you should definitely check him out. And yeah, I hope uh, we we don't have any um, any social media or email address or anything. So you, uh, you, there's no way to contact us. So. Uh, you want to ask us a question uh, i'm sorry you, you just you just can't so that's uh that's it hope to see you next week
Stay classy, fuckers. Goodbye.